This is a podcast from Destiny Church Edinburgh. Good morning. You have your Bibles today? Thank you to Destiny Edinburgh for and to, to Peter and he's I think he's gonna go be speaking at the you guys are just planting churches everywhere. Where's Comfort and I mean they're here somewhere in the back? And I just met is it Jess and Jane and it's two J's, right? J, not Joe, James James. James and Jess love Hong Kong and uh, going to spend a few minutes with them. Love the vision of destiny and everything that they're doing. From the pages of 1 Samuel, chapter 4, I want to read some some verses for you. And if you'll pardon me while you're getting that, I'm going to open this bottle of water and pour a little bit in the glass. I've been preaching uh, quite a bit and my voice is a little bit uh, rough. In fact, uh, I have a like a, a mint in my mouth right now to kind of, is that okay? You're, you're okay with that? Are you good with that? I had a friend of mine who, um, he had multiple services and there was no clock where he would see it, but when he would begin to preach, just as he walked up, he would he kept mints in his pocket and he would pop a mint, certain brand that he always liked, and pop a mint in his mouth and he would begin to preach. And he knew that when the mint uh, dissolved, it was time to land the airplane because the, the next service was about to begin. He, he wore a suit and tie and on one particular Sunday, as he... Uh, was getting ready to, is actually already in the auditorium and getting ready to go preach. The, the button came off, but it was behind his tie. And he thought, no, no one will notice that. So he took the button that came off and just put it in his pocket. And then as he got up to preach, he reached in his pocket to put a mint in his mouth. And the last I heard, he's still preaching. This is a mint, and when it disappears, the plane will land. Amen? First uh, Samuel chapter 4, you got it? On your, on your iPads or your uh, Bibles or your ancient Jewish scrolls, whatever you're using. This is a passage that is actually quite, uh, it has a lot of... Uh, negative feelings about it because how many of you have ever heard the word Ichabod? You've heard it? Oh, good. Some of you haven't. You're going to get to learn something today. It's, it's, of all the words in the Bible that sort of have a, a negative connotation, I would have to say the word Ichabod is probably right at the top of the list. Because uh, it means that the glory of God has departed. It's, a, it's something you would never want to, to say over yourself. You wouldn't, you, how many of you would want God to just say, I'm gone? Okay, I'm, I'm frustrated with you, I'm gone. 
How many of you would enjoy that moment? So you understand the negative connotations of when something is said, Ichabod. But there is a positive message in the story of Ichabod. And I want, I want to bring, bring that out to you. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about this subject. Don't let fear name your future. Say that with me. Don't let fear name your future. Tell the person beside you, don't let fear name your future. Now, the, the story begins that this is in the beginning of Samuel. This is 1 Samuel. There are actually two, two uh, books of Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and the primary character is the prophet Samuel. But at this point in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, he's not a major character yet. In fact, in the third chapter is when Samuel gets introduced to the presence of God. He's a young boy. He's brought to, to learn at the, at the temple. Mr. Sound Guy, where, where are you? Where, where's, the, where's the guys that do the sound? Right there? Do I, do I need to move this closer or something? Can all of you hear me? Okay, good. Don't turn it up. Any, can you turn it down? It's about to rumble and roar. Just turn. I'm a rare kind of preacher when I ask to turn it down. There you go. That's perfect. You can all still hear me? Okay, good. Let's just leave it right there. The, uh, the, the, the character of Samuel, he's, he, chapter 3, he's just a boy. And you learn why God called him and began to do the things he did as you move in. Because uh, Samuel's mentor was a, the high priest. and At this point, he was uh, past 90 years old. He's an old guy. And he needed help. And the help that he needed uh, was coming in the arrival of Samuel. But Samuel's not ready yet. He's, uh, he's still a student. He's still learning. He's still young. But Eli is now old. So he begins to depend on his two sons. His two sons are called, they're named Hophni and Phinehas. You know, there are a lot of people in the Bible that we, we, we choose names like you, the name Samuel wouldn't be. wouldn't surprise me if someone here today is named Samuel. It's a common name. It's, a, it, it's because there's, there's a good things attached to that name. But when I say the names Hophni or his brother Phineas, uh, have you ever met someone named Phineas? Anybody? You have? Okay, so there's the rare. It's just not, it's about as common as naming your daughter Jezebel. Just not necessarily, you know, somebody might hear the phrase and say, oh, I'm going to name them that. But the reason their names are not popular is when you discover what they become. Hophni and Phinehas were the sons of the priests and were, technically supposed to help him and take over, but if there is such a thing as a backslidden priest, they are uh, 
uh, evidence number one and number two. They loved the, <clears throat> the power that came with being a priest. They loved the uh, prestige. They, they, they loved, but, but they didn't love God's presence. They liked all of the authority, but they did not like the intimacy. And they were leading God's people down a wrong path. And Eli was a little bit too old to try to correct that. And that's why God said, I need Samuel in there so he can take care of things. But in that short transition, when Hophni and Phinehas are still uh, kind of secondarily in charge, Israel finds itself at a moment of crisis. They're attacked by the enemy. It's that same enemy that, that harassed Israel for generations. It's the, the, the Philistines or the Philistines, depending on how you would name them. They're, they're always, you know, if, if you're a believer, there will always be, uh, your, people say, well, I have my guardian angel. I, I need to tell you that you probably also have your harassing demon. Isn't that good news to know? They're just nipping at your heels. The Philistines were like that with Israel. It was constant. Normally, when uh, the nation of Israel was attacked, this is the way the scenario would play out. The people would cry out to God. They would, they would pray. They would call some kind of assembly. They would offer some sacrifices. In different ways, they would make their need known to God. God would answer and sometimes in miraculous ways, they would become victorious. Uh, he, God did amazing things. Sometimes he would raise up women to lead them into battle. Other times he would cause nature to rise. It, it just seemed like it was always answered. On this occasion, because the nation had been following the lead of Hophni and Phinehas, it's like God was frustrated with them. Uh, it's like he wouldn't take their phone call. Do you know that God has caller ID? Did you, he knows who's calling him. And uh, it's like when he noticed that they're calling, he said, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated with them right now. And they, they went into battle in this fourth chapter. And on the first day of battle, 3,000 men lost their life. Now, I don't know what you call, I'm sorry, 4,000 men. I don't know what you call a bad day, but for 4,000 men to lose their life, that's the beginning of a pretty bad day, isn't it? In fact, if, uh, if we totaled the, from, from an American standpoint, if we totaled the number of casualties that we have lost in a 10-year war in the Middle East and in Iraq and Afghanistan, it would it would hardly bump above the four thousand mark. It's it, it's and yet for a nation, we're a nation of of three hundred million people, and Israel at this point was much much smaller than that. And for them to lose four thousand people in one day, imagine the impact that was. the The people were 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 devastated with the news of that. And battles in these ancient times were fought very differently. It's like they would fight during the daylight hours 
And I don't know, it's like when five o'clock time came, a whistle blew, and it was quitting time, and everybody said, okay, time out, we'll meet again here tomorrow and pick the fight up. I think that's kind of crazy, personally, because if you were losing on the first day, when they said, okay, eight o'clock in the morning, we meet here again, not me. (laughs) I was being defeated yesterday. You can fight with yourself. I'm going home. I want to live. But they would show up again the next day to begin the battle all over again. And in between the day when they lost 4,000, they realized, I mean, this is the time when they would say, okay, we need God. Have you ever had a day happen where you realized, okay, before tomorrow comes, I need God? Anybody? I mean, I don't know how he's going to come riding in a horse, um, in a, a letter, an email. I, I don't know what the, the intervention is going to be, but I need some divine intervention before tomorrow. And it's on that night they cried. Israel, uh, I, 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 pardon me, I'm an author. I write books. I've, I've made movies and things. So I think creatively and I sometimes mix time frames up. So I get a, a picture of, a cell phone call going out to Hophni and Phineas from the battlefield saying, hey guys, this did not go good today. You better get a hold of God. So Hophni looks at Phineas and he says, uh, Phineas, uh, do, do you still have God's phone number? I need to call him. They, they said it went bad today. Phineas said, oh, I've got his number, but... Uh, all I get is voicemail. He will not talk to me right now. And Hoffnay says, same way with me. I mean, they literally had lost their connection to God. Then here's what they did. They said, well, okay, we, we don't have God. They need God. How can we get God to go to the, the, the battlefield? Because honestly... I don't want a God who can just meet me at church because most of my problems don't happen at church. I mean, I want a God that can be on location, on my job, in Hong Kong and in in, in Goomba where they're planting a church in northern Nigeria. I, I want God who can be on my battlefield. That's what I want. So Hophni and Phineas they, they concoct this grand scheme of how to get God to the place of the, of the people's problems. They, they said, well, we, we don't know how to get God there. But, oh, I have an idea. They were in charge of the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you know what the Ark of the Covenant is? Uh, Harrison Ford. Gotcha, okay. Now, sometimes you just have to make a, a, you know, a 20th century reference. It's a gold-covered box with two angelic, solid gold creatures on top, uh, heavenly beings and in a posture of worship. And this is uh, what represented the presence of God. And actually, between those two worshiping angels, that area is called the mercy seat. 
Say that with me, mercy seat. Now, if it's a mercy seat, that means somebody sits there. And the one who sits there is the one who dispenses mercy. This is actually where, this was God's chair. When God came to earth, when he was visiting with his people, that's his chair. The priests would go behind the veil. That's where they would minister to God. They would sprinkle blood. That's when they would have the incense and, and in their their ancient rites of Israelite worship, and that's where they would say, God, we need you. So what Hophni and Phinehas decided is, we don't know how to get God to the battlefield, but we have an idea. Why don't we move his chair to the battlefield so that when God is looking for his place to sit down, that's where he goes? I mean, I kind of understand their logic. But there's a major miscalculation. The the miscalculation is that's not the only chair that God has. That's just his earthly chair. He still has the throne of heaven. And if he doesn't like where you put his earthly chair, he just says, sorry, uh, it's just a chair. And we, we attach a lot of significance to the Ark of the Covenant. We think, oh, if you had the Ark, honestly... I am glad that Harrison Ford never really found the ark. I know what the movie says, but I'm glad we... Because sometimes as Christians, we, we, would, we would make it a tourist attraction. Oh, come pay some money and see the ark. And, and, and people would worship the ark. It's just a chair. It's a very different kind of chair. But it's God's presence that's what empowered the chair. And you'll find out that there's no real power in the Ark of the Covenant in our story today. Because when they moved the Ark to the place of the battle, and they go into battle the next day, if you think the battle went bad the first day, then let's read about the next day. Verse 3 is when they said, let's fetch the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 4 is when they brought it there. Verse 5 says, when the ark came to the camp, Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang. Imagine they're all so excited that that they they shout so loud that, let's try try something. I'm going to count to three and you you just shout something. Would you, okay, let's try. One, two, three. I didn't feel anything shout move. I mean, that was pretty good. Imagine how loud and how excited. Because they lost 4,000 people the day before. And now the ark is here. Yes! There's a great shout. Why? We're going to win tomorrow. We lost today, but we're going to win tomorrow. The enemy heard the great shout. Verse 6 says... When they heard that noise, they said, what is this? They sent a spy, evidently. Somebody peeped over the hillside, and they came back, and their exact words, they say, verse verse 7, they said, woe unto us. (laughs) You know it's bad when they start using the word woe. (laughs) Woe unto us. They said, it's never been like this before. Why? Because the ark is in their camp. So the Israelites were convinced they're going to win. They're shouting so loud that the earth shakes. The Philistines are now convinced they're going to lose. 
because they have the ark. And in fact, they, uh, verse 9, the Philistines start giving a, a speech to one another about you know, to be strong. And they said, be strong and, and fight like men. And, and uh, don't, we don't want to be servants. Basically what they're saying is, okay, I want you to be brave tomorrow. Go die like men. It's kind of the William Wallace speech. Sorry, I'm, I'm in Braveheart territory, so we, we're probably going to lose, but go die like men. So it's interesting. The enemy thinks they're going to lose. The Israelites think they're going to win because the ark is there. And Hophni and Phinehas are saying, we did it. We pulled it off. Guess what happens the next day? Verse 10, Philistines and Israel fight, and Israel fled every man to his tent. There was a a route. They were retreating, and there fell of Israel 30,000 soldiers. I mean, it went from bad the first day to devastating the next day. They thought they were going to win, and instead 30,000 die. And now... The battle is over. It, it, they've been defeated and everybody's retreated. And, and what's even worse than that is the next verse says that the ark of God was taken. Now, do you really think that if God was sitting in that chair on that mercy seat that someone could have stolen his chair out from under him? Come on, guys, talk to me. No, I mean, that's what, so that tells me that that, that the power was not in the chair. This is a lesson for us. Never mistake the furniture for his presence. You might have a pulpit, but that doesn't mean you have his presence. You may be in a church where they have things and keyboards but that, that's not a sign of his presence. You could, you could be in a church that has stained glass and a steeple, but that's not. Never mistake all of the accoutrements of church with God's presence. Church is what we do. It's not about church, really. It's about him, and it's about his presence. The truth is, Israel could have won that battle today. It probably They did not need the ark in, on their battlefield What they needed was God's presence there. Moving the furniture. I mean, imagine you're sick. You're in the hospital. It's cancer. It's bad. And you call Pastor Peter. Can you please come? And he says, hold on. Let me get my guys. And he calls the associates at the church and says, can you please go get the pulpit? Why? Oh, they're sick. They're in the hospital. They show up. Oh, now you're going to be better. Why? Oh, look, uh, the holy pulpit. It's in your room. It's, it's preposterous, right? It's, it's because it's not about the pulpit. It's about his presence. So I'm going to say it again. Never mistake the, the furniture for his presence. Pursue his presence. If Israel had just they didn't need the ark. If they had just cried out to God instead of thinking, oh, well, we'll have it. we have a trick. You're not going to trick God. 
you, you, you're not going to suddenly turn into a spiritual being where you have that kind of relationship that you can call on God just because you have a pulpit. Or, uh, you know, in, in America, there's a common thing that's going on in decorating people's houses. As, as older churches are remodeled and they put in different kind of chairs, very often, often they put in the kind of chairs that you have here, they sell the old church pews. And so it's, it's a common thing that people buy them, they cut them shorter and put them in their house. And just, it's nice, decorative touch. And um, In fact, I have one in my house that came out of my grandfather. But just because I have a pew doesn't mean, oh, I'm having trouble. I'm going to go sit on that pew and everything will be okay. It's not about form. It's not about ritual. It's about his presence. They lost the battle. And then this is the heart of my story today. They come back to tell Eli about the bad news. That's verse 14. I want to read these verses. When Eli heard the noise of the crying, I mean, the whole city began to cry, he said, what, what is the meaning of this noise? And a man, a messenger, came hastily and told Eli. And verse 15 says, Now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were dim, and he could not see. That's why he needed help. And the man said to Eli, I, I came from the army today, and I fled. And, and Eli said, What's done there, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before... Listen to me. I got to tell you something. Sometimes in the Bible, we learn lessons uh, and we see what people do and we say, okay, I want to do what they did so I can have that effect. There's other ways that we learn lessons and you learn, don't do what they did. Right? Okay, Ananias and Sapphira. You know that story? They, they, they were at church and they lied and they fell dead. Don't do that. How many of you learned that lesson right now? Just don't do what they did. Okay, we're about to learn one of those don't do this lesson. In fact, this is what I would tell you. How, how many of you have ever had a bad day? Okay, first of all, some of you are having a bad day because you're lying right now. You did not raise your hand. And if you're alive, you've had a bad day. I, I have to be, I've had some bad week. I've had bad years. When I came to Destiny last year, I was in the middle of recovering from a broken leg. It was a miserable seven months. It was awful. And, and last year, anybody here ever had a bad month or a bad year? Come on. I... I on January 1st, when 2014 arrived, did, did, did you guys, is it your tradition, do you stay up to welcome the new year in? Do, do, how many of you do that? I stayed up also. But I didn't stay up to welcome the new year in. I stayed up to make sure the old year left. <laughs> I, was, I was done with that. I kick it out. No more broke legs, no more casts, no more crutches, no more. I said, you're gone. You're out of here. Now, when you have those bad days, here's the lesson I want you to learn. This is the lesson. What not to do on a bad day. 
Now let's describe the bad day that they're having. Okay, he comes to tell the news to 98-year-old, almost blind Eli. And he mentions, verse 17, he said, Israel fled before the Philistines and there's been a great slaughter. We know how many, 30,000. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And it's bad enough when 30,000 died. Then when you learn your two sons died. And then he said, and the ark of God has been captured. And verse 18 says, when he made mention of the ark of God, Eli fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate and broke his neck and died. I mean, you're talking about a day going bad. 30,000. The two sons, the ark captured, when they tell the news to the 98-year-old high priest, he's so shocked, he falls off the chair backwards, and when he fell, he broke his neck, and he died. And then the scripture says, for he was an old man, so probably contributed to it, and heavy. When I read that, I want to go on a diet. I do not want to just fall off a chair and die. No haggis for me. I mean, so this is bad stuff. Look at the next verse. And his daughter-in-law, now they're going to tell the news to Hophni and Phinehas' wives but that their husbands are dead. His daughter-in-law... Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child and near to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark was taken, that her father-in-law just died, and that her husband was dead, the Bible says she bowed herself and travailed and her birth pains came upon her. I mean, it's really not uncommon for shocking news to, to nudge a pregnant woman who's about ready to give birth to nudge her over into delivery. We, we hear of those kinds of things happening all the time. Maybe a, a, a minor car crash, but just the sudden rush of adrenaline and, and the baby's going to be born. She heard that bad news. It was such a shock. It pushed her into delivery. And so now she's having a baby on what otherwise is a bad day. And, and to me, I'm thinking, wow, okay, So you've had a bad day, but at least at the end of that bad day, you have a little baby. I mean, a a new baby can brighten up any situation. Have you ever seen grown, mature men with magnificent beards turn into an absolute babbling fool because there's a little baby? They just, oh, look at cutie pie. What, babies just do things to people. And so you would think that she could have taken solace and taken some comfort in the fact that, okay, I had a bad day, I lost my husband. And you also would think that she would now say, I, I have something to live for because I want to make sure that this baby is, is, has a, a bright future. So in the middle of the bad day, there's this bright ray of sunshine. That's what you would think would happen. 
But the next thing says, after her birth, after the baby's birth, verse 20 says, and about the time of her death. In other words, after she gave birth, she died. This is a terrible, this is worse than Shakespeare. They're all dying. Now, when she died, look at what's happening. Remember what, what, what we're learning today. What not to do on a bad day. Don't do this. Look at your neighbor and say, don't do this. Don't, don't do what this woman did. I'm, t- I'm just warning, don't do that. If you have a bad day. Because the women that stood around her looked at her and they said, fear not, for you've born a son. It's like they diagnosed what her problem was. I, I'm not so sure that what she died from was, was childbirth. I, because it, the women would have not said that kind of thing. The women are looking at her and realize that this woman is so wrapped up in the fear of this day that the Bible says that she wouldn't, look at verse 20, she wouldn't answer them. When they said, fear not, you've got a son, she wouldn't answer them, she wouldn't regard it. She wouldn't even pay attention to the baby. She, she wouldn't talk to them. Have you ever seen someone that was so locked into a bad day that you could hardly reach through to them? Some people seem to, I don't know, maybe it's only in America, but there's some people, they, they, they sure seem to enjoy their misery because they, they live there all the time. They, they, I mean, if, it's like if you're having a bad day, a, a good day, don't go around them because their bad day is going to jump on you. How many of you have met people that it's just they, they enjoy? If you ever ask them, how are you doing? You better pull up a chair because it's going to be a long conversation and it's not good. Everything's bad, you know. <laughs> we, we, we used to have a little song we sing in America when your kids are having a bad day. Is, uh, everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going out and eat worms. You, do you have that song here? Long, slim, slimy ones, big, fat, grimy ones. I'm going out and eat worms. Some people get so stuck in the pity party, they're just worm-eating. This woman, I know she had a bad day, but come on, woman, you got a baby boy. Come out of this for a moment. But she's so locked into her fears that even when the women around her are encouraging her, they're saying, fear not, look, it's okay. The, the, The baby's fine, you have a baby boy. She wouldn't answer And finally, when she did answer, verse 21, she spoke up. She cleared her throat. throat) They said, oh, she's she's coming out of it now. And she she spoke up and she said, name this child Ichabod. And all the women around said, did did you hear that right? Sorry. Name the baby what? You heard me, Ichabod. I mean, you're Phineas's wife, and Phineas is a bad enough name, but you're going to put 
Ichabod? Name this baby Ichabod. Yes, Ichabod. And she, as far as we know, the name of the baby was the last words she spoke. And what is it about that when she finally named that baby Ichabod, she died? Because a baby represents her future. It's as if she looked into her future and she saw nothing but bad things. And so she, she said, the, the word Ichabod literally means God is gone. But let me teach you a little bit of Hebrew, okay? Listen, would you like to learn a little Hebrew? So you can leave here and say, I, I speak Hebrew. Okay, the word Ichabod is actually, it's a Hebrew word. I, I, I read in Spanish, I read in other languages. It doesn't matter what language you read this passage in. A lot of the other things will change, but the name Ichabod stays the same. Because it's not a Spanish name, it's not a German name, it's not an English name. It's a Hebrew name, so it stays the same, Ichabod. If we actually pronounced it with the, the, uh, the Hebrew accent, it would be Ichabod. But we, we've anglicized it, it's Ichabod. And it's actually two words put together. One word is Kavod or Kabod. So say it with me, Kabod, say Kabod. That's the root word. Then the word in front of it is ick. This may be the ickiest sermon you've ever heard. Say, say ick. Ick and then kabod. So say ick, kabod. Now this, it's two words put together. And it's when the, when the prefix ick is attached to anything else, it means the absence of. It means without it means none it's like we have the word nothing correct and the word nothing the root word is what thing but when we put no in front of thing we mean there is nothing so if i said pick that thing up just okay that thing right there but if i say pick that nothing that I mean, or you would say there's nothing to pick up you negate so when you take the word ik and you put it in front of kabod, kabod means the glory of God. Wouldn't it have been easier for her to just name that boy, name him kabod? Less ink, shorter word. But no, she had to put the prefix, the negative connotation. And instead of just leaving it, Kabod, which is the glory of God, she named him Ichabod, which means no glory. In essence, what she's look doing is she's looking in her future and saying, God is gone. It's finished. And the moment she pronounced God's absence over her future, she dies. Now, she's finished and that baby is left on its own and Here's what's amazing about that. This is not the last time that Ichabod's name is mentioned in the Bible. Some ten chapters later, he shows up again. He's alive with his cousin, who is Hophni's son, and they're doing something in the, in the priesthood. So that means he's, he's a priest. Now, 
how would you like to be a priest named God is gone? I mean, imagine him signing up for Destiny Bible School. Yes, and what's your name? God is dead. And you want to come? Yes, that's what. He, he, he overcame his name and still became a priest. Imagine him showing up to preach. Would you all welcome Brother God is dead here to preach to us? Or he's, he's for a healing service. Uh, Reverend, God does not heal is about to pray over us. I mean, you, you just my mind goes crazy. But somehow he did it. And what that tells me, it doesn't matter what others might name you. It doesn't matter what others might call you. You might have even been cursed by your own family and they say you'll never amount to anything and it won't happen for you. You, you might, people might have looked and said God is gone from your future but even when they, you, you carry that name that does not affect your destiny because just because someone said that over you doesn't mean that's the way it is. Come on, lady, don't name the boy Ichabod. T- tell your neighbor, don't do that. I'm just, don't, don't do it. The moment she named that boy, it's over. Now, here's what's amazing about this story. Everything that Israel lost on that day, it was recovered on subsequent days. Okay. They lost that battle, but they eventually won the war with the Philistines. They, they, they lost the high priest, but the priesthood continued. They lost the two sons, but their replacements were there. Samuel stepped in, into their, their footsteps. They, they lost the Ark of the Covenant. Oh no, somebody stole the pulpit. I mean, so what if you showed up here on a Sunday morning, and somebody stole the pulpit. Sorry, we can't, oh, I needed God so bad, but we, no pulpit, no God. But you know what happened? The Philistines, they realized, we don't want this thing. It caused such havoc among them. I wish I could, in public discourse, even tell you all of the things that God smote them with. But you read the Bible. It's awful. And they finally said, send it back. Israel didn't even have to fight for it. They just put it on a FedEx UPS truck with no driver. <laughs> they did. They just hooked up two calves and said, go, go, just go. Get. We want it out of here. So Israel won the war. The priesthood was continued. The ark was restored. Even the boy went into the priesthood. So everything that this woman had fear about, what am I going to do? The priesthood is over. Who's going to take care of me? Normally her father-in-law would step in, but he can't. She would have been fine unless she, if, if she had just overcome her fear. Fear was her fatality. And that's why I came to you with this message today. 
whether you're a student here at, at the beginning of a semester or whether you're a, a young couple starting a family or, or a Jess and a James trying to start a church in Hong Kong, I want you to speak to your future. And I want, don't let fear name your future. Let faith name your future. Look at your future with faith. Oh, but Tommy, you don't know how bad last semester was. Okay, you had a bad day. I had a bad year. You can have bad times, but bad times don't last. The faithful, weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Sometimes you just have to make it through the night. Oh, this is a bad day. It's really bad. It's uh, terrible. It's bad. I'm just, just hold on. And don't speak fear over your future. Look at your future and say, don't say God is gone. Say God is in charge of my future. He is ordering my steps. He knows what he's doing. He's in charge. I may be going through a bad season. But listen, you, you, you may have a bad chapter. But it doesn't mean it's a bad book. I love to read. Uh, Pastor Peter and I were talking before the service about reading. I, I love, I'm, I'm an avid reader. But I, I have one thing. I, I have a, an aversion. No, that's not a strong enough word. I hate books with bad endings. Do, do you like books with bad endings? Why do they, who, why do they write them? I don't like I don't like movies. Do you like movies with bad endings? I fly back and forth on the international flights. You know they show you movies, and when I'm home, I have I, my my family consists of three daughters, and I had uh, my first three grandchildren. They're girls, and finally I now have a little five-year-old grandson. Hallelujah! Uh, but uh, so I, you know, when I'm home, I I I don't get to see my kind of movies. I'm always with them. I go see the girly movies and the, the Disney movies and you know, all of that. So when I'm on a plane, I, I, uh, I like to watch, you know, good shoot 'em up kind of, you know, adventure. <laughs> Born identity. I, you know, sorry, I'm just, I like it. I'm a guy. <laughs> all right? So I saw this movie and on the plane, oh, that looks good. And actually, one of my books has been turned into a movie, One Night with the King. And so I know how they're done, and I like to kind of dissect how they, oh, they did that good. So you watch, and a movie, a movie always has this same basic story. The movie begins, and everything's going good, and, and then suddenly there's a crisis, and then the crisis appears to get better, but it actually gets worse, and then... And then the, the, the end of the movie is how they resolve that crisis and, and things are set back aright. That, am I right? That's, that's, so I'm watching this movie. It's, you know, it's uh, the family. They're all sitting in the house and mother cooked an incredible dinner. No haggis. And she's going, uh, the, the, the dog is politely there. The kids are getting good grades in school. They're doing their homework without being told the, the business that supports them is going well. And then, you know, crisis hits. I, uh, and, you know, by the time the crisis is over, the, the house is burned and the, the business has gone down. And uh, 
the dog is biting people and the kids are doing crazy things and, and the, 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 the wife divorces the husband and, and there he is. And, and I'm thinking, okay, how are they going to make this get better? Because I want to see it all restored and put back. And I'm watching it. You know, it's, I'm an hour into the movie now. So I know, a movie about an hour and 15, 20 minutes. So I, I literally thought, in about 15 minutes, that, oh, this is going to be good. I want, that's a good screenwriter. If he can turn this thing around in 15 minutes, then the man gets sick. And then he dies. And then the movie ends. The credits start rolling, and I'm saying, no! No, no, I, I need Prozac. I, I've just wasted an hour and a half of my life on a depressing movie. I hate movies with bad endings. I had to watch cartoons after that just to <laughs> cheer myself up. Do you know who else hates bad endings? Your heavenly father. He refuses to write a script that has a bad ending. In fact, here's a word for you. If it's bad, it's not the end. Hold on. Hallelujah. If it's bad, it's not the end. Hold on. If this woman had just held on, she, things could have turned around. I'm preaching to some of you right now. Don't, don't, don't quit. Maybe your book is in the middle of a bad chapter, but it's not the end of the book. Don't take the pen out of God's hand when he's still writing your future. I know it may look bad right now, but it's not the end. God has great things for you. Oh, hallelujah. Give God some praise right now. Hallelujah. In fact, uh, guys on the screen, I didn't ask you before, but can you put up Jeremiah 29, 11? Can you, can you get that verse up there? Because that's what I want to close with. I, I, I like to read, I told you. When I was a little boy, I, I was bad to stay up late reading. And uh, my dad realized it, and so he, he started, uh, are they working on it? Okay, he, he started uh, coming into my room and, uh, you know, uh, because sometimes I would read till, almost till the sun came up and then it's hard for me to get up in the morning and Dad said, we, we have to stop that. So I'd be reading and he would come in and he would say, time to go to bed and just click, turn out the light. Well, I'm reading. I'm re- Columbus is sailing across the Atlantic. It's almost a mutiny. They're going to kill it. There's a storm. And I said to my dad, Dad, I can't sleep. I don't know what's going to happen to Columbus. They could kill him. He could die in the storm. Come on. And my dad, this is what my dad would say. Okay. And he'd flip the light back on. He'd say, five more minutes. You know what I would do? I would flip to the back of the book, get to the end of chapters there, and I would just look for Columbus' name. Is this coming? Oh, okay. He's still alive. All right. Good. I can sleep. 
I want to tell you guys something. This book we call the Bible, I've read the back of this book. And it says we win. It says you're victorious. It says everything's going to be fine. It says weeping may endure for a night. In fact, it says this. God says, I know. Doesn't mean that you know. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He's writing your story and it's plans to prosper you. Oh, maybe you don't need that prosper part. You want, you want to stretch that? When I say something good, you should say, oh, yes. That, oh, amen. I, to prosper you. Yes. Not to harm you. Yes. Oh, I am glad I'm not being harmed by God. And to give you hope. Yes. That's what this woman needed. And... A what? Oh, you have a great future. Whether it's in Gomba, whether it's in Edinburgh, whether it's in Hong Kong, whether it's where I live in Louisiana, you've got a great future. And that's why I came to tell you, don't name your future by your fears. Name your future by your faith. Hallelujah. Stand up with me. I want you to turn to three or four people and tell them right now, this is going to be a good year. All right, I'm going to have a good month. This is going to be great. God has it. He knows what he's doing. Come on, give God some praise right now for your future. Father, I pray. I pray for the people in this room. I pray for Destiny Edinburgh. I pray for all of Destiny Ministries. I speak faith over them. Put your hand on the person beside you and just say, I speak faith over their future. Prosper their business. Help their family. Put things aright. Give them hope that even when they're going through a bad day, that tomorrow is going to be better because my faith says kabod my faith says god is in god's glory is in my future in jesus name amen hallelujah i hope this message has helped you if you'd like to find out more about our church download more audio teaching give us feedback or make a contribution please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com May God continue the great work He is doing in your life.